People throw around words like kindness and empathy like empty packets. They don't deeply feel those values, really know the lived truth of them, or take them and use them to give comfort or a safe cradle to the people around them. But Lucy Thomas does. As the co-founder and co-CEO of the phenomenally successful social enterprise Project Rocket, her vision is of a world where kindness and respect thrive over bullying, hate and prejudice, and where all young people are free to realise their right to release their unique potential. Since being founded in 2006, Project Rocket has reached half a million young Australians by delivering powerful in-school workshops and online resources to teach kids to stand up to and not stand by bullying and to help them navigate the complex individual, relational and societal human skills of inclusion, respect, diversity and empathy. In this conversation on Human Cogs, Lucy shares the Project Rocket story to now and shares how, after building her career as an indomitable social crusader tackling bullying, her life was fundamentally changed when she herself became the target of an extended pattern of bullying. Lucy wrapped up these personal learnings in her widely acclaimed and received TED Talk, Kindness, the Ultimate Rebellion Against Bullying. She recently received an Order of Australia Medal for Service to Youth and Against Bullying, and she's now stepped out to create impact on the global stage working with Facebook, Google, Instagram and Twitter to combat cyberbullying. This conversation with Lucy strikes to the very heart of things. It unseats us all a little bit and it made Sabina cry, which is kind of why I'm doing this intro alone. But it matters and it matters because it reminds us all so we don't forget that imagination is the birthplace of empathy. Unconditional positive regard is the bedrock of all real human connection. And no matter what, kindness ultimately conquers all. Here's our conversation with Lucy. Lucy, you've said that growing up you always figured that someone should really do something about bullying and then you realised, hey, I'm that someone. When was that moment? Oh, it was probably a series of moments, I'm guessing. Like I grew up pretty close to my little sister Ro and I remember we used to come home from school at different points, like I'm sure everyone does, having seen something gross or something that didn't sit right and you, you try and commiserate with your mum, except our mum is not a commiserator. She's She was a fierce single mum and her response every single time would be like, well, what are you going to bloody do about it? I should have stood up or I could have said something became like the starting points I think of, well, maybe I will. But I think it was really shortly after finishing school, I don't know about you guys, but It's like you're told throughout high school you can go and you can do anything, you can change the world, you can become anything and then you leave school and it's a little bit disappointing (laughs) when you see the lack of action that exists in the real world. And Well, and you hit the real world with all that idealism and go, oh, shit, the systems aren't designed for the change I want to see. Right, yeah, and that bullying actually isn't a school issue, it's a societal issue. So you realise that there is any structure where there's power, people tend to abuse it. So I think leaving school and recognising that some people who I really cared about throughout high school just seemed to drop off the face of the earth, that some people were, you know, finished high school ready to go and take on life, you know, and others just were shells of the people that they were when they, you know, the brilliant kids who started Year 7. So I think it was like around that time crystallising all of that together and thinking, 
like, gee, imagine if we actually learned how to challenge injustice in school. Imagine if we finished school not just with, you know, a grade eighter, but, you know, the ability to know ourselves and appreciate diversity and reach out to people when they are really struggling and actually stand up for the stuff that we give a shit about. That was kind of what kicked it off, I think. Which is pretty progressive at 17 or 18 to have that thinking and then want to put that into action. You also, you just mentioned there that bullying is, it's not just the domain of the schoolyard. It's everywhere where humans exist. How do you define bullying? Because I often hear it probably thrown around maybe a little bit too liberally or in ways that are not helpful. Yeah, I think that like grown-ups love to use the term bullying because it quarantines the issue to being a youth issue or a school issue. But actually, I mean, academics define bullying by three parts, that it's repeated, so it happens more than once, it's not a one-off, that there's an imbalance of power, so the person bullying has power over someone else and that it's intentional. But it's really interesting because young people don't tend to define bullying that way at all. You know, we have an intuitive sense of when someone is like giving someone a hard time because of the thing that makes them different is a, t- is a typical like young person's um, description. And we all know that. We know what bullying is. It's when people throw their power around systematic power that they have and they use that to bring another person down over a period of time. I agree actually with young people. There's sort of a felt sense of injustice. If we don't call it bull- bullying, there is some gut instinct around this doesn't feel right or sit right, which you're saying was your experience as well growing up, even if you couldn't define bullying technically. Yeah. Like in reality, I mean, often it looks like someone being left out or someone just being treated like they're weird. And we do that as adults. You mm-hmm. know, we do that in workplaces, in families or in friendship groups and, you know, educational institutions. So yeah, you know what when bullying's happen, like happening. I think we have a good grip for that, but it's a tricky one to pin down. What's the long-term impact of bullying then, whether that's perpetuated in childhood or where we see adults still grappling? Yeah, spoiler alert, it sucks Mm. Um, for everyone involved. Like we, you know, initially, you know, while I was growing up, we did see the kind of long-term impacts of bullying on people who are bullied, like victims, I say in inverted commas. But there are also really negative impacts for people who bully and for people who witness bullying. So, you know, if you bully others, you're more likely to go down the line and, you know, perpetuate family violence or become incarcerated as well as on a more, you know, regular level, just not develop the skills to be in the world and have healthy relationships. So it's just not good for anyone basically. And what we're really interested in in particular is the role of people who see it happen because, you know, we've all had those experiences I think in life where you're standing by and something just isn't right you know it's wrong but there's a big difference between knowing something's wrong and having the skills or the motivation or the confidence to actually leap into gear and do something about it so we actually thought that that was the best way to kind of mobilize change on this issue is by actually addressing those issues so that people can in the moment stand up for what they think so your focus is primarily on the observer as opposed to the bully or the bullied yeah it's not just on around like empowering the bystander to, to, you know, get involved. It's actually also about developing the emotional literacy to recognise when someone, when bullying might be more covert or when someone might not want you to stand up, might actually need you to reach out afterwards. So it's about developing our literacy and our understanding of ourselves and I guess our emotional literacy, yeah, and empathy so that we can in those moments as the majority of people in the situation use the power of a group to make a difference. So we have a high female listenership on human cogs and I know that there'll be a lot of parents listening thinking about one or more of their children who have or are being bullied. What's your message to the carers and the parents? First up, I have so much admiration 
for parents. I, I sound like I'm sucking up, but I genuinely, <laughs> like in our job, I, I love working with young people and I don't know what it would be like to have such care and be so, like as an extension of yourself, be so invested in one particular um, kid that is your kid. One of the things that I'm always struck by is the resilience of young people of survivors of bullying of all ages and walks of life that we worry that people will be destroyed by bullying. But actually uh, my belief is that survival is the most ultimate rebellion that we can, we can ever make against any form of bullying or discrimination or prejudice in this world. And so the majority of people find a way to alchemize their experience into something meaningful and into strength or into, I can say from my own experience into an appreciation of what it's like to, to go through, you know, adversity for so many kids it, it is a really soul destroying time. I don't want to minimize that, but it's also a reality of life that if you can get right with who you are through walk through fire, then you're going to be stronger for it. So I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but I, I really think that there's resilience in every person that we, we don't see and we don't have full access to as well. Mm. Maybe as long as they get the resources or whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic at the point at which they need it most, because I think we were talking before we came on around, you see a lot of adults who have the long-term effects of bullying where it hasn't been addressed. What, what are your thoughts about it? Uh, yeah, I just see a lot of clinically um, with my psychologist hat on, a lot of people referring back to deep trauma around yeah. um, episodes or periods of bullying that, that may have been years or decades earlier. So yours is a great message of hope, Lucy, because you're saying it, it, it's a reality that humans hurt humans and yet there's a way to, to navigate that and not be defined by that. But that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, and, you know, on that note, actually, of the the stories of bullying and the relation that everyone has to this issue, it's so interesting because when we started Project Rocket, I was a little tacker. I was fresh out of school and I was probably going to house parties and university events. And no matter where I showed up, if it was a haircut or a pitching session where everyone in the room was a bloke a generation older than me, the minute I said the issue that we tackle is bullying, everyone comes out of the woodwork with their own experiences. And so often they're, they're people like, I couldn't, I could never work out who it would be. This issue doesn't discriminate. You're left to feel like it's fundamentally about there being something wrong with you. And when you look at, you know, the, the examples of people who have been bullied, it's just abundantly clear that there's nothing wrong with you if you're being bullied. And quite interestingly now, last night I was at an event, someone came up to me and they said, oh, what do you do? And I said, we work on this issue of bullying. And the conversation's changed now from people older than me, I'm hearing, oh, shit, well, I've got a kid and they're on social media and what are we going to do? So quite interestingly, I've seen the focus shift from my own experience of bullying to a, a reflection of concern about the way that the world has changed and a bit of a gap between understanding and interpreting those experiences now that they're facilitated through technology as yeah, well. Yeah, which is one of the biggest shifts, I think, as parents from the ways we grow up to the way our kids are growing up. So what are your messages to parents around that, particularly with this technology that is not uh, native to us as old yeah. folk. I don't envy the position that, that you're in. I think that one of the things that can be really alienating for parents is that your teen or your kid is the expert when it comes to technology. They really are. They have such, and this generation, this emerging generation has so many skills and competencies that we just didn't develop, like critical thinking, access to global information, and they have literacy about diversity that we just didn't have access to growing up. 
But what is lacking is life experience. And so the role as a parent, in many ways, the mediums have changed. But one of the things that we like to talk about with parents is the idea that you still need like custodians in the world that you move through. You still need role models and people to guide you through and provide that like longitudinal experience and insight into life that extends well beyond your 13 years. And so that role really hasn't changed. The fundamental themes of adolescence haven't changed. They're just playing out differently. So teens today still worry about, am I a total weirdo alien that's been transplanted into a human body? Will anyone ever love me? How do I stand out, but also fit in and belong? Um, All of these issues, how am I going to make it through school? What next? What's the pressure that I'm inheriting in this world? Gee, climate action, what do we do? All of these kind of conversations. um, They're not about technology, they're about human issues. Mm, yeah, and maybe it is, you know, wisdom doesn't become redundant just because technology came and and has, has you know, replaced a lot of the things that, that we used to have like in our youth. I think what's interesting is that older people still have that lived experience that young people don't around rites of passage and around growth and maturity and um, discovering what it's like being a human and navigating relationships and those sorts of things. One of the things I see, I mean, we work with thousands of young people through Gold World and, and Future Amp, and obviously I'm a parent mm. um, to four outstanding young humans. One of the things that I think is complex where we talk about technology and, um, and cyberbullying and all these sorts of things that are going on is that they have to navigate their on and offline selves. So their world, their relational, you know, the world of relationships has got very big for them. What work do you do through Project Rocket to try and help young people navigate the complex thing that is these divided selves on and offline? Perhaps that um, divide is so relevant for us because we lived pre there being an, an online world and having to construct, having to go through the curate curatorship of building your online identity. But for so many of the teens that we work with, the that divide has just dissolved. And I actually see a real opportunity there. For example, one of the reasons why cyberbullying is such a concern is that it's easier to be an asshole from behind a screen because you don't, you might feel like you have more power. You don't have to face the other person's emotional reaction or a physical reaction. So a lot of people who feel disempowered offline might bring their hate and propel that online. But by the same reason, it's actually much easier to be courageous online because you don't have to face the other person's emotional reaction because or their physical reaction um, and you have a lot more power from behind the screen. And I think that when we start to blend these worlds, this is about propelling the person that you are and the values that you want to see online as well as offline. It becomes more of an extension of yourself rather than a separation of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it's consistent, I suppose, in those platforms, you're not totally. hiding behind an archetype or a avatar of self online where you're not actually living out your values, you're doing something other uh, that might be fueled by hate. On that note, Lucy, I am interested. So your company was funded a million... A million, I think, around about in yeah, uh, wow, yep, a few years ago, a lot of money, isn't it? By Facebook and Instagram and um, and documentaries like The Social Dilemma and others talk about um, social media platforms are the place where a lot of this bullying and, and hate play out. Um, how do you um, sort of navigate the complexity of that relationship? I suppose you have with being funded by the social platforms that are the very places that are can be dangerous and dark. We've been actually working with Facebook and Instagram, so same company, as well as Twitter and Google for for a number of years. And we did make a very conscious decision to actually engage and to work together, largely because they're kind of like whole universes, these companies. They're so big. So within these companies, though, each each has a public policy team. And we found very early on as we started to learn more about, about the way they work is that the people working in public policy were 
kind of like us, you know, that many of them had worked in not-for-profits. They were all trained and interested in pursuing progressive, inclusive spaces. And, you know, working within these companies doesn't preclude the fact that people might have a shared vision to us, which at Project Rocket is a world where kindness and respect thrive over bullying, hate and prejudice. So say that again, say that again. A vision of a world where kindness and respect thrive over bullying, hate and prejudice. Yeah. That's that's the jam. So quite remarkable to find people in little corners of these companies and the world indeed where they're like, yeah, I can get down with that. And they're fighting for that. How did that come about, that relationship with those big juggernauts? We had a couple of um, really deep advocates early on and we made it really clear that you know, based in Australia, so when when Facebook set up very early on in Australia, the tiny team on the ground, and one of those people had seen us in action, and she was actually on a panel that we were emceeing, and she, actually it was pretty random. She was on a panel with Ruby Rose and a federal politician. It was a, the, an audience of parents and kids, and you'd think they'd want to talk to Ruby Rose or the federal po- politician with a prominent profile. They all they wanted to do is grill the Facebook woman about. Facebook's policies and why isn't my thing being taken down that I reported? And so it was quite interesting because we were fascinated in the bigger conversation behind these questions and I think it opened up a much more genuine and deeper kind of relationship. But for us working with the platforms, it's not just about receiving grants or funding or support. It's really important that that the conversation's two-way. So before receiving that funding, we actually joined Facebook's Global Safety Advisory Board. We have members of our team that sit on Facebook's Global Youth Advisory or Twitter's Trust and Safety Council. And for us, that came first, and which is so important. Our aim isn't to amplify their messaging or their branding or whatever. It's actually to elevate young, young people's voices to the decision makers within these companies who can actually create change. So so when we started up back in 2006, what was missing from the conversation was young people working with young people to solve these kind of issues. The conversation around cyberbullying was very top down, just don't do it, you know, just keep all your every account on private and don't go on the internet basically. And we just wanted to do something different. We got excited about the potential of having conversations that elevate young people's social leadership and opinions and creativity and community building online. Uh, And what started very small grew pretty quickly. But initially the Project Rocket approach is not to lecture, not to judge, not to terrify, instead to bring together young people who may not have ever had the chance to really see each other as individuals, so like a whole year level, and run really interactive, wild, wacky, full of laughter, workshops that trick you into learning about cyberbullying rather than lecture you and and bullying as well. And so this approach at Facebook is quite different because rather than going into schools, we were bringing schools together. We started bringing together, going into communities all over Australia rather than into separate schools and bringing together 15 to 20 young people from each of the local schools and training them with the skills to go back to their schools and actually, yeah, create change and, you know, empower the other students in their year level to. So, so train the trainer model or sort absolutely. of champion type. Yeah. yeah. So the program is called Project Rocket Digital Ambassadors. We got off to a flying start in 2019 all over the country. Um, the aim was to welcome 10,000 digital ambassadors into the Project Rocket movement. We got about a far as 5,000 and then COVID soiled our plans. But we're back actually in 2021. So we've created a digital iteration over the course of the latter part of this year. We're going we're gonna to catch up and, and bring on board so many more Aussie students to actually build the online world that they, they want to see. You've reached about, what, half a million young Australians so far since 2006. Yeah. Yep. 
what should the education or what could the education system or schools be doing differently so we don't need services like yours to come in, seagull in and out of the schools? Yeah, I think that curriculum moves at a pretty glacial pace and that's a real challenge for educators as well. So, you know, teachers are bound to curriculum. I think teachers do a sensational job not only at educating students about traditional subjects but now they're kind of like the wraparound um, development officer for a young person, which is just wild. I think that schools are very limited by structure and the structures that are designed to support actually can and protect can limit and disempower, I think, young people. So, yeah, I think what schools can be doing more is putting agency in youth and student groups to, to lead this kind of programming in their schools. And, in fact, I'd say I think of the 500,000, I roughly did the maths, I reckon 200,000 of those students I got to work with personally over the years. And I'd say that, like, I learned way more in my time running project rocket workshops in schools than I ever learned as a student in school. So that opportunity to learn from young people is just so profound to learn from your peers rather than the person standing at the front of the room is truly remarkable. And I think that we can shake up that traditional pedagogy by actually bringing opportunities for peer-based learning would be just a total game changer in Australian education, I think. And then as someone who has learnt so much and been in first-hand contact with all these students, with this level of expertise and passion, you then found yourself experiencing significant bullying. Yeah. What happened? Bit of a strange one. Like growing up, I'm sure everyone has experienced bullying to some extent, and but that wasn't what drove me to start Project Rocket. But I, it would have been about eight years after starting Project Rocket that through a drama unfolding in my personal life that evolved into kind of ex- an extended pattern of harassment, I really came face to face with it. So the scenario was that, you know, I started dating someone new and didn't think much of it. I'd had um, like a many young adults, like a range of healthy and some disastrous, but bounce back kind of relationships. But this particular one didn't become a problem until she told her family that she was in a relationship with a woman. And, oh my God, what a bin fire. Like the, I had no sense. I think I've probably been protected to the ghosts of homophobia that still exist in this world by being surrounded by a generation that is so progressive. But I didn't realize how damaging and how toxic that those agendas can be when they have power and determination behind them. So yeah, it was a a six month chapter of my life that resulted in me moving out of home. I had to get lawyers. I dropped out of uni. I've worried for my kind of physical safety. And most importantly, I worried for the safety of the person um, who I'd been in the relationship with as well. So, but what was so remarkable about that was I just kept showing up to work and to be standing there running a Project Rocket workshop in front of a couple of hundred year eight students. I'm not sharing my story with them. That's not what we do at Project Rocket, but I could just see so much more of what this experience means for people. I could see the people in the room. I felt their suffering. Like I felt it palpably because I was in it. It really connected me with the function of human suffering as a connector rather than a distancer, you know. And that lived experience shifts everything. I was reading a book this week written about grief and it's written by a therapist Mm. and then she lost her husband and she said, I wanted the first thing I wanted, well, not the first thing, but at one point I wanted to go back to all my clients and say, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. I didn't get some of what you were talking to me about with all my training, with mm. all my empathy, with all my passion, with all my commitment, with all my heart. I didn't get it until I experienced it. Mm. 
until you live until you stand in someone else's shoes almost which yeah. is which is what you're saying isn't it that mm. it landed in some some way differently for you yeah i think as well especially as a non-aboriginal like white australian there was another layer of re- recognizing that some people you know intergenerationally are born into experiences where they're predisposed to trauma no fault of their own so i'd been walking around in the world thinking that some people oh it's just unlucky if you face bullying whereas this really I found new connections to different groups in the community and to my own community um the LGBTIQ community that I hadn't felt such strong links to and I hadn't had that understanding and insight into the experience of before so yeah it was quite a remarkable kind of experience and the other part of it is that I felt completely wrapped in support by the students that I was there to support which is they didn't do anything they didn't say anything Hmm. we all even just that that shared vision of a world where kindness and respect thrive over bullying, hate and prejudice was what lit my path forward. So quite a surreal experience. Really. Mm. You just know you've landed in the right place when that happens, yeah. even though it's painful and you bled along the journey. Yeah. The serendipity is powerful, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. You're quite the crusader for kindness in your work and in your lived experience. How do you think we can all practice more random or intentional acts of kindness to people around us? Yeah, I think the first thing that I I think is really important is holding in mind that kindness isn't the same as niceness. Niceness doesn't require us to dig deep. It gives kindness a bad name, I think, in the extent that it it makes it seem shallow um, or passive. I think that kindness requires great strength because it requires great vulnerability. And at times it requires endless love with constant boundaries that sometimes to be kind to someone, we need to show up expecting the best of them and being willing to call out when the way they're treating you isn't okay or the way they're treating someone else is toxic or whatever. So I think that it's quite a a strong mindset to hold is kindness. And it's the way I like to see it is it's holding people with a view of unconditional positive regard. You know, they're not a reflection of their behavior. They're not a reflection of the way they seem in that moment or the way I feel around them. They, they are, they do have intrinsic value no matter what they do or no matter what they say. So yes, I can hold them to account. Yes, sometimes we might not agree, but kindness for me is what in all my behavior, whether that be drawing a boundary or saying, yep, let's have a share a cup or a beer, whatever it is, it's the internal piece that's like this person sitting in front of me just has fundamental value as a human being. When did that really resonate, that insight, that knowledge and that, oh, you can taste it when you talk about kindness? Tell you what, working with teens, you're unconditional positive regard muscle really does flex. Like there have been so many times in my early 20s over the years where I might be just slung with like misogyny or poor behaviour or people just being disruptive or just not showing you respect or not showing other people respect. And it's very easy. I saw settings where teachers would turn around and snap at that kid and it's always that same kid, he always behaves this way and it only affirms that kid's experience in the world that I'm supposed to behave like this and there isn't a separate path for me. So, yeah, I think I realised that I, if I ended the day having held that uh, animosity or taken absorbed that negativity, that I was only worse off for it, whereas I would end a day working with the most challenging um, theatrical gotta love them, group of students. And if I'd absorbed, you know, the care that I have for them and held that front and centre, I was better for that. And I actually felt inspired and moved by the challenges that they threw my way. Absolutely exhausted still, don't get me wrong, but it's such a flip in um, because it's about 
I think just like seeing what's really there, not seeing the strategies that people throw up or the walls that they build to keep themselves safe. That's that's ultimately what people are trying to do. So, yeah, years of working working in high schools specifically has been has been the real game changer. I think. Mm. And you've gone on and um, your TED Talk, Kindness, the Ultimate Rebellion Against Bullying, has been widely received and, and listened to, you know, going onto that platform, onto that stage. What were your key messages in that talk where you were coming out to a, a wider audience than just youth? Message was simple. I think we're taught when we grow up that if you're kind to people, they'll be kind back, which is such a lovely idea. And for the best part, maybe it works, but there are times when people aren't. And that's obviously not a reflection of you. It might not even be a reflection of them. But what I've learned through Project Rocket is that kindness does come back to you always. It's not reciprocity that brings kindness back to you. It comes back to you in ways that you can't yet or may never see. So for me, I I described my own experience of bullying. I'd put kindness out there to this person who, for whatever reason, wasn't able to return it and her family were not able to return it. But it came back to me through Project Rocket. I didn't start Project Rocket so that eight years later when my partner bullied me and her family came after me and all of this kind of stuff, that I'd be okay. But in the end, that's the thing that elevated me back to who I really was and made me okay. So that's the kind of the key message, I think, of the talk. Kindness comes back to us in ways we will never know. Mm. It's a very optimistic and compassionate lens. And no, it's not a lens, it's a way of being in the world. What keeps you up at night? What are the things that rattle your brain? Oh, gosh. Um, I worry about our, our team at Project Rocket. I hold a lot of concern for them going out into schools doing this work. We have a wonderful, talented, passionate, incredibly committed and ethical team of young presenters who go out into schools. It's a really diverse team. So, you know, we have people from every letter of the LGBTIQ acronym, different faith and cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different ways of being in the world. We have neurodiversity in our team. And it's vulnerable, courageously vulnerable to go out into schools and say, hey, I'm here as me to talk about this issue of bullying. Let's let's dive in. And so I think about, you know, as as our conversations become more polarized about, you know, within humanity and about the issues that we care about. I worry that about their environment, the arena that they're stepping into. Um, but, you know, they're also incredibly resilient. They've got each other and they're great. They have 15 years of history at Project Rocket to lean back on. These are the things I tell myself when I'm lying in bed twiddling my thumbs. What do you do for yourself to restore yourself, to fill your cup? I walk. So I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I walk. I walk like... I walk and walk and walk and walk. Actually, when I went through the trauma of my own experience of bullying, walking, it's something about the when we're moving, when we're in motion. I'm not a yoga person. I'm not like a go and smash things kind of person either, but it's something about feeling like you're still moving through your feelings as you're processing them that I really love. And I love people watching, like, yeah, walking up and down Sydney Road, Chili's, my dog, is like looking for snacks that people have abandoned. I've got little nonnas saying hello. I'm, I feel like I'm not getting to know the people in my neighbourhood and feeling connected to something much bigger than myself. Because you have such a powerful enthusiasm and passion and dedication and, you know, as I listen to you talk, I think, yeah, Anna, so this has happened with a couple of our guests. I think I want what you're having. You yeah, know, she like wants when a Harry met Sally. <laughs> I want Project Rocket. I want because it's cool. You know, it's energising. It's energising. It's, it's hopeful. Yeah. It's real. It's impactful. Well, that's kind. I, I think. Are you the, hiring? No, <laughs> she needs a job. <laughs> We're always hiring. Um, 
I think that the biggest influences growing up would be my mum and my sister. Like it, we were, really were a tight little unit and there's just so many like everyone has this in their family but made up language and made up words that have made it into the fabric of Project Rocket. So when someone starts in a, you know, they start induction and they're like, what does giggy mean? Giggy is the code word that we say when one of us feels like we're about to pass out or vomit while in the middle of public speaking. You just turn and say giggy and the other person takes over. And when you onboard new staff and you explain that, they're just like, what? What am I joining here? Like what even is this? So, yeah, just like growing up in a really creative very socially accountable, passionate kind of community of strong women, I think has probably really, really shaped me. Mm, it certainly sounds like it. What would your top value be? Well, kindness would be your top value, I'm guessing. I've thought a lot about my values. Imagination's a really big one for me. I think that like, I love imagination because it isn't just about being creative. I think that imagination is the birthplace of empathy because it requires, you know, empathy requires us to be able to imagine ourselves in someone else's shoes, not, not what would they be feeling if they were me, but what are they feeling with their own unique desires, hopes, dreams, experiences. And I think that it brings a lot to social enterprise and innovation. I think that there's a lot of people out there who want to be like a social entrepreneur, but they don't bring genuinely imaginative ideas or solutions. And sometimes it's really vulnerable to put your ideas out there. And we're also supposed to you know, protect our ideas. And so, yeah, I think imagination is probably another really, really big one for me. Imagining possibilities is exciting to me. We love to end these conversations by asking all of our guests a final question. When you think about all the young lives you've touched and all the experiences you've had in your life, walking the many thousands of kilometres that you have, we all know life can be challenging and confronting and complicated. When you think about all the people you've engaged with, who do you think is doing human really well? Oof. That's a great question. I'm going to say my little sister. I think she's doing human really well. The qualities that come naturally to me don't come naturally to her and vice versa. And she's learning with great humility, qualities like vulnerability and yeah, self-reflection. And she's very self-reflective and self-aware, but yeah, she's, she's also just very resilient and very humble, but has put herself in a role as a woman leading the business development arm of a small social enterprise where she takes on a lot. She's our payroll person, despite the fact that we're 15 years in, she still pays our staff. She's, she's incredibly humble. I think she's doing it really well. She she wears her flaws. She owns them. She apologizes. She makes bold mistakes because she's living full and she's great to be around. I think my sister. I just got <laughs> I'm voicing it again. You have said so many beautiful things tonight. <laughs> I've only written, turned them down. Um, just, I'm moved by your, um, oh, just the compassion and the. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, so eloquent. Like, um, oh, the way that's that you. Kind. That's yeah. a nice thing to say at the end when I'm like, oh, I've sweated and I've said oh, too much. No. Yeah. no, no. Just beautiful the way you tell your stories. And yeah, there's so much heart in there. And um, how about yeah. these for a couple of rippers? Um, niceness gives kindness a bad name and imagination is the birthplace of empathy. Yeah, I wrote that one actually. I don't think that your message is... You're all better now. Yeah, Mm. yeah, you bring those scars with you to some degree. It connects us. Like it kind of shits me a bit that this issue of bullying, and in, in fact I see this with parents, like so concerned for their own kid, but like 
if someone in your kid's year level is, is suffering by connection and by relationship that affects your child. Like we tend to be so self-interested, but someone else's suffering is our suffering. Like it's, if we, if we're harmful to other people, it's no good for us. And yet high school, you're like, oh, that person's weird or I'm weird. Oh my gosh, I'm, my parents fight. I've got, I've got so much academic pressure. No one's going to ever love me, whatever it is. I'm, and it's such a distraction because every kid feels that. Every yeah. kid feels like a total alien weirdo. But not just every kid, every adult. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, perhaps it shifts or, you know, dials down or dials up and down across their lifespan, but it's a forever story. And like the empathy and imagination thing in corporate life, where is imagination? And yet, you know, so where is empathy? I like went and had we, a look. It ain't there. Yeah. <laughs> like we expect we expect leaders now to be compassionate and empathetic and kind, but where when do we sit around imagining what other people's perspectives are like? Where do we where yeah, where is the space for that? It's just not part of our culture. It's thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com.